You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Um, so it is, it's always a, a privilege to get the opportunity to um, be with you and to speak with you. Um, always humbled because when I look out, I see family. I see my literal family, but I also see my church family, and I really do. We consider you guys family, so good morning. Uh, before we begin, let me just pray briefly, and I'm going to pray um, Psalm 19:14 this morning. Lord, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Charles has got a video for us. I was watching to see if anybody would yawn. I could tell you guys were all like really good at suppressing those yawns. <laughs> but um, maybe I'll just like yawn occasionally during the sermon. Anyway, I showed that because there's, there's power to a yawn. There's power in a yawn. Why do we often yawn or at least feel that desire to yawn when we see someone else yawn? Well, scientists believe that yawns are coming from an area in our brain, or the the contagious yawn, rather, are coming from an area of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, um, and the mirror neurons that are happening up there. They discovered mirror neurons about 20 years ago um, in Italy at the University of Parma. And the mirror neurons are neurological structures in the brain that fire off both when we perceive an action and when we take an action. So when we witness someone doing something like a baseball player knocking an incredible one out of the park and we jump off the couch and we're like, we did it, we did it. It's because we've so identified with that person through our mirror neurons that we think we are now part of getting the credit for the action of hitting that ball. Our team is now like us and we are our team. So scientists think that mirror neurons might also be the basis for how and why we can empathize with others, um, how we can build social bonds, and um, how we identify with, that's kind of a common phrase these days, how we identify with someone else. So I was reading Psychology Today, Dangerous Business, um, and Dr. Joe Court, this is a, a secular article, was saying, though, that we become over-identified with celebrities through these mirror neurons. And we, I would add, we can come, sometimes become over-identified with um, politicians or other visible leaders, be them leaders in our church or leaders in our um, work. Uh, so that brings me to our big idea 
for worship today. And it's that we become like what or who we worship. So let's take out our Bibles and we're going to read from Galatians 5 today. And as I read this portion of scripture, it's a lengthy portion, so I would encourage you not to necessarily get stuck on any one word at any one point, but just kind of let the whole thing wash over you. Here we go, Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So the acts of the flesh, he goes on, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. It's a long list. Take a breath. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, he says, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, contrasting list here, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. So all worship bears some kind of fruit in our lives. And we're going to talk about that today because I, when I read Galatians 5, I noticed three kinds of worship in there. Um, But first, let's back up a little bit. We've been in a sermon series called Big Ideas on Worship. So what is worship? Well, worship comes from the English words worth and ship, to ascribe worth to someone or something. A definition that we commonly go to um, would be something like a feeling or an expression of reverence or adoration for a deity. But another definition that can also be included as, in, as worship is adoration or devotion short, shown towards anyone or anything. So at this church, often when we talk about worship, what we mean is the portion of the service um, that we usually do at the beginning um, where we sing songs to God, focused attention on God. But generally, and more broadly, worship has a lot more to do with how much focused attention we give to anything or anyone. So I read this incredible book when I was in um, School for Spiritual Direction. It was by Dr. Kurt Thompson, and uh, he's a 
Christian. He's a doctor, um, medical doctor, um, and then he became a psychologist. I don't know his story perfectly, but it, he's a lot of things and really incredible. And he wrote this a book called Anatomy of the Soul. And in that book, it talks about the surprising connections between um, neuroscience and spiritual practices and how spiritual practices can actually heal us and not just heal us emotionally, which is important and good, but also like changes our brain, changes our physiology. Um, so Thompson says, what we pay attention to affects our lives. That may seem obvious, but what is less often apparent is exactly what we're focusing on. After all, so much of it occurs automatically or unconsciously. And I think that's just human. He goes on to explain, and this is where we kind of get the big idea for today. He goes on to explain that we must pay attention to what we are paying attention to. Because where we place our attention shapes our minds. And it, it forms, if you're young, or can reform your soul if you're older. So what are you paying attention to right now? And how many times have you already thought about what's for lunch? Um, so let's, do, let's take a moment and kind of bring from your unconscious mind to your conscious mind what in your life you're paying attention to right now. What occupies your thoughts? What's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? What's the thing that keeps interrupting your thoughts when you're trying to focus on something else during the day? Or what's the thing that kept you up last night as you were tossing and turning and thinking? Those aren't necessarily wrong or bad that those things are on our mind. That makes you human. Congratulations. Often it just is. But an awareness of what is really does help us. So... All forms of worship are going to influence and affect us. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you'll know a tree by the fruit that it bears, implying that if you don't like a certain kind of fruit, don't plant that tree. So if our worship or our focused attention, whatever it may be on, is a tree, metaphorically speaking, it will bear a certain kind of fruit in our lives. So what kinds of trees are you planting right now? And what kinds of fruit are you bearing right now? So raise your hand, be honest. Have you ever played the game, Two Truths and a Lie? It's usually like a get-to-know-you game. Yeah, everyone in youth land raised their hands. <laughs> Anybody else play Two Truths and a Lie? Come on. Okay, so we're not going to play Two Truths and a Lie. Everybody's like, phew. Um, we're going to play Two Yucks and a Yes today. So here we go. We're going to talk about some yucky fruit and some yes fruit. At my house, the kid, my kids know that like all fruits and vegetables are yes foods. They don't have to ask permission, but for everything else, they ask permission. Anyway, here's some yes fruit. It's coming at the end. So yuck number one, though, is worshiping the law bears the fruit of legalism. Worshiping the law bears the fruit of legalism. A little bit of historical reference, uh, historical context for Galatians for a minute. The portion of Galatians that we read, Paul's writing a letter to the Christians in Galatia, 
because they were, among other things, having a fierce debate about whether or not the Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, the Gentile Christians were, uh, should be circumcised like the Jewish Christians had been in order to be saved by God. And the law that Paul is talking about here is not the political Roman law of the day, like the law of the land, but it was um, the, their, their spiritual law. The, they, the Hebrew people referenced the covenant. They referenced that as their law, their law. And so when Paul says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He's reminding them that Jesus died so that they aren't under the Old Testament covenant. They are no longer under that law. And the Galatians that were called to be free from that law, the Galatians were called to be free from that law and instead be led by the Spirit. So there's an implication here. It's subtle, but it's there. That they were worshiping a law. They were worshiping the law to be circumcised, and it was making them legalistic jerks. There's the yucky fruit. Instead, he urges them, stop paying such close attention to the old rules. Stop fixating on those and start paying attention to the Holy Spirit, who is always saying, love, love. So what do we take from this? Because I don't think we are supposed to take about the circumcision thing. I don't think that's really our issue today, is it? Um, (laughs) But maybe we are unconsciously, maybe we don't even realize we're doing it, we're worshiping the rules, the culturally Christian rules of something or other. Or maybe we're worshiping the God of doing, doing things for God or for others. So, short personal confession. Uh, most days when I wake up, the first thing I think about is what I have to do that day. Like before my feet hit the floor, before my eyes even open, I'm laying in bed, like ticking off all the things. I think about my appointments, I think about my responsibilities, I think about who's counting on me, I think about what I need to not miss. And I often allow them to influence my mood even before I get out of bed. So that gives me the hint that if I unconsciously worship something, it's going to be likely a doing thing or doing things in general. So I've had to take up a a new habit. Um, Before I even get out of bed, I sip my coffee. Yes, Roger brings me coffee in bed every day. I sip my coffee and I sit in bed until I've given all of my doings for the day back to God. It's a spiritual discipline. It doesn't take long. Some days it takes longer than others, I admit. But because of my own propensities to allow my doings to be what occupies my focused attention, that's something that I just I have to do every day. And you can tell on the days that I didn't really do it. You're like, oh, avoid eye contact with Angela. She's clearly thinking about something else. Um, 
Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe, maybe that is you as well. Maybe it's not at all. But when I listen to preachers preach, I, always, I enjoy hearing them, but I really the most enjoy grabbing onto those practical things that I can do. Um, and so I brought you a few practical next steps. So if you find yourself in any of these parts, then I have some practical next steps for you. And one that I would offer you um, for this one is an app. It's called the One Minute Pause. And Mary Margaret turned me on to this one. It starts with a simple one-minute surrendering prayer. And it allows you to then build on that practice. So you start with the one minute, and then if you get good at that, you get to graduate to the three minute. And then if you get good at that, you get to graduate to the five minute. And, um, but it's really good, and it's honestly really humbling to admit, one, how hard it was. <laughs> it's a beautiful app. The app itself is great. Doing it was hard. Um, and two, how much it changed me, just doing that simple thing. Like, man, I had a long way to go. Wow, I still have a long way to go. Um, but it's really good, and I would recommend it. So if you're sitting here and you grab your phone right now and you search in your app store, um, it's a good one. One minute up. And the next one is this. How about, practically, if you were a doer like me, you take an actual 24-hour biblical Sabbath and rest from doing even the good things, even the necessary things. I don't do laundry on my Sabbath. I do it every other day of the week. But it's purposed, a purposeful Sabbath for worship and rest and delight. Moving on, yucky fruit number two. So the next yuck is that worshiping others and worshiping the flesh bears rotten fruit. So Paul tells the Galatians, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. Again, a little context here. Um, when Paul says uh, living according to the flesh, he does not mean that our bodies are bad and our spirits are good. What he means is that flesh is us just giving into anything about ourselves that is self-centered or a selfish way of being. So, to be clear, freedom from the Old Testament law does not mean we have freedom to do whatever we want. Paul says it pretty explicitly here. You are not to do whatever you want. <laughs> But Paul goes on and he says, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, uh, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's the fruit right there. If you live like this, you won't get to be part of the kingdom of God. This behavior and the kingdom are mutually exclusive. And our free will and our flesh love to play fast and loose with healthy kingdom boundaries. 
And anytime we give our attention to anyone who's crossing the lines of healthy boundaries, it's going to impact our minds, and then therefore it's going to impact our lives. So instead, be careful. Be careful who else you are giving your focused attention to. What you watch. Who you listen to. Where you spend your time scrolling. Your mirror neurons are always at work. So this flesh that Paul talks about, it lies behind all the yuck in this world, all the evil powers of this present age. It lies behind the corrupt governments. It lies behind the greedy corporations. It lies behind the immoral presidents. It lies behind ambitious CEOs creating oppressive structures and unjust systems within our world. But it's not limited to celebrity and power and politicians and influencers. We give them the money. We give them the power and the influence when we listen, when we watch, when we scroll, when we click. Every time we give them our focused attention or our worth-ship, our mirror neurons are helping us to identify with them and shaping and forming our brains to do like they do. So back to that article that I was reading um, in Psychology Today. It was about celebrity, and it was about our mirror neurons. And it said this. This is a secular article, mind you. When we surrender our self-identification to someone else, to what they do or espouse or portray as being reality or expertise or strength of character, then we ourselves become disempowered. It goes on to say, it is incumbent on us as individuals, therefore, to step back and examine ourselves objectively. This could go a long way, he says, to disentangle ourselves from the perils of celebrity worship. Even the secular people realize that what we're paying attention to is influencing our hearts and minds and souls, and it causes us to do things that we might not necessarily have done. So let's step back a moment and and do exactly that, using Paul's rubric. You know you're worshiping someone other than the spirit of Jesus when you start playing with the lines of sexual morality and purity, when we're hating on anyone, when we're creating or glossing over discord and dissensions and factions at home, at work, or in politics. When we find ourselves jealous, when we find ourselves envious of anyone or raging about anything, or when we find ourselves making choices out of ambition rather than the needs of our spouse or our children or our employees or anyone who has, we have more situational power over. I'm not picking on my pet peeves here. These were straight out of Paul. 
but they are kind of, a few of them kind of step on my own toes. And I wonder who have I been listening to that's been making that okay? Or at least like not as startling and offensive as it should be. So practical next steps for that. If you find any of that is in any way um, tempting or connecting with you, practical next steps on that. One, just notice. Notice the influencers in your life right now. Just stop and notice them. And then maybe take a step back. And maybe commit to pray and to worship and to meditate on God things before they get your time each day. Before social media, have it done my prayer app. And you know all those times where you go to like click your prayer app and then you get caught by the email and your notifications and you're like, oh shoot, let's just check that. And then you click on this and then you click on that and you're like, oh dang, I just used up my prayer time on clicking. <laughs> Anybody? Is that just me? Come on. Tough crowd today, guys. Come on. Okay. The second one is this. Take an actual Sabbath rest. This can be part of your Sabbath. Rest from phone notifications. Turn them off. Consuming or shopping on your phones. Rest from social media. No social media on Sabbath. Or rest from checking the news. How good would we all feel if we went 24 hours with no news? I mean, really, Jesus followers back 2,000 years ago had zero news, and they didn't feel, I mean, they had like the letters that showed up, and someone would say, hear ye, hear ye, but other than that, they were not being bombarded by the news, so we can take 24 hours. The world's not going to fall apart without us. So, practical next steps, who are you paying attention to? Who are the influences in your life? And take rest, take rest from them. Okay, here's the yes, the fun part. Worshiping Jesus bears the fruit of the Spirit, and it bears abundant life. So back to Galatians 5 and starting in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. How does one keep in step with the Spirit? Worship and prayer. Worship and prayer is how we keep in step with the Spirit. And if we pay attention to our God in worship, His character shapes our minds and reforms our souls. Let's give our mirror neurons to someone who is good and worthy, and let's identify with Him. Let's identify with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. A little more science for you. So recent advances in neuroscience and brain imaging technology have given researchers a, um, like a look into our brains on prayer. Like, what is your brain on prayer? And there's this Leidke thesis um, done in 2018. And they found that when we worship God, there's an increase in a neurotransmitter that helps us grow healthy brain cells. 
And he says, um, every morning we wake up to 300 million more brain cells. And when we worship, gamma rays in our brains are created that can actually help us feel the presence of God. It like turns on this awareness, this like spiritual awareness. So actually doing it turns on the awareness. So if you're not feeling God, but you choose to worship anyway, you're activating those. And Leitke says the gamma waves do more than just make us feel better. They actually increase our intelligence and our capacity to understand goodness and the goodness of God. So your relationship with God deepens when you worship him. And interestingly, they found that just seven minutes a day, seven minutes a day will change your brain in this way. Seven minutes a day feels really realistic to me. I don't know about you. So also, MRI scans show that after an eight-week course in mindfulness meditation, um, the brain's fight-or-flight center, the amygdala, appears to shrink. So it's back here. And this region of the brain is involved in the body's, like, stress responses. It's the one that's like, oh, shoot, a bear, run, you know, or shoot, a bear, freeze, and die. But <laughs> but it's that part. And um, But the problem is we don't often encounter bears in our everyday lives. Um, and so because our stress is, looks different, it's like an interpersonal conflict or something like that, that part of our brain still triggers. And so it because of our stressful society and the constancy of all the input that we're constantly getting and the notification, oh shoot, and oh ding, and blah, 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 you know, and blah, 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 you know, and it just keeps coming when you're trying to focus on something. All those things coming in actually keeps that, um, the amygdala like triggered. And so we, that's why we have chronic stress and chronic anxiety. That's really simply put, because I'm a simple person, but that's basically how I understand it. And so um, the amygdala appears to shrink when your brain is worshiping or doing mindful meditation. And um, the amygdala, as that shrinks, the prefrontal cortex of the brain becomes thicker. And this is the place where we have um, awareness and concentration and good decision-making skills. They're coming from here. So translation, mindfulness meditation increases our concentration increases our good decision-making skills. So that's what the Bible would call discernment. So if this series on worship in this month, you've thought, oh gosh, I really do want to worship more. But every time I start to, I lose track and I start thinking about something else. And then I try to refocus and I start thinking about something else. How am I possibly going to pray seven minutes a day? And how am I going to possibly worship for 20 minutes you are not alone. You are human. But God's designed our brains to be fixed and trained. So I, I told you it was just one more nerdy thing, but it's just one more nerdy thing. So Adrian Taran, a researcher studying mindfulness at the University of Pittsburgh, says the scale of these changes directly correlates to the number of hours in meditation, but they can add up over time. So the seven minutes plus the seven minutes plus the seven minutes plus the seven minutes, they keep adding up. And the 20 minutes on Sunday and the 20 minutes on Sunday and the 20 minutes on Sunday, they keep adding up. 
and that's what's building in your brain. So I keep using this phrase, mindfulness meditation. Why do I keep saying meditation? Because we're Christians, not Buddhists, right? Right. Um, Christianity's or origins, and like this might shock a few of us here, Christianity's origins are actually Eastern, not Western. This idea that we're a Western society actually comes from the Greeks and the Romans and their pagan religions and their philosophies. And so when the Bible talks about meditation, it's not actually talking about like a word study. It's talking about meditation. And when the psalmist says, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate, he means meditate. Truly. And in the vineyard, one of the ways that we do that, which I love, is through our musical worship. It's the closest thing that I've found in this context that we do on a regular basis to this kind of meditation. And it's not the only kind of Christian meditation, and we explore a lot of other ones in our services, like the clearing service. Um, But you'll notice when we sing our songs, they're not intellectual, not really. They're love songs. And we sing the same words over and over and over again. Have you noticed that? Do you sometimes feel like, wow, that's boring. Why are we singing the same things over and over again? Come on, am I the only one? (laughs) We sing the same words over and over again because it's a meditation. It's a chant. It's a mantra. It's a Christian meditation. We sing them and we focus on the same words over and over about God and to God. And as we're doing it, it is forming and strengthening our minds. And the stronger and deeper these pathways get, the easier and easier it becomes. So two more practical next steps. But as I'm giving those, let me invite the worship team to come on up. And we are going to actually practice worshiping right now, an extended time of worship. But before we do, let me encourage you with a couple more things. If you're not spending daily time in prayer, in meditation, in worship, in focused attention on God, whatever ways that you do that, I would encourage you just make a commitment here and now. Make a commitment to the Lord today for seven minutes a day of daily, mindful, worshipful meditation on Jesus. Again, that one-minute pause app is an incredible place to start, and it will build you up to those seven minutes. There's also a really great book. If you're feeling a little bit like, um, yes, I'd love to do this, but I kind of don't know where to start, and I don't know what to do with my seven minutes, there's a great book called Be Still um, by Brian Heasley, um, and it's got lots of different kinds of things that you can use or interact with, um, or if you find that your old ways of prayer and meditation are just kind of not the same as they used to be for you, that's not wrong. That's not bad. Those things are still good, but maybe the Lord's leading you to something new. Anyway, that's an incredible resource, and I would invite you to just pick it up and look at different chapters. And then the, the last practical step, and you can probably guess by now, I'm going to say it again. Take an actual Sabbath. If you're only in church once a month, why not make it weekly? 
for real, like weekly. And if you're only worshiping and praying when we're at church, then it's not doing what it's intended to do in our hearts and lives. So let me encourage you, take an actual Sabbath, worship on Sunday mornings, rest on Sunday afternoons, not go to sporting events and call it rest, not sleeping in and calling it rest, actually coming and worshiping, and then actually resting your heart and soul. God gave it to us as a gift. He gave us Sabbath as a gift. But it takes regularity. It takes as little as seven minutes a day and Sunday after Sunday, and we get that cumulative effect. And then what will be in your heart is the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and the self-control.